Here's the Smart Retirement Cast brought to you by Smart Retirement Media. Now, here's your hosts, Mike and Matt. Hey, my favorite listeners. Welcome back for another great episode of Smart Retirement Podcast. This is your co-host, Mike Points with Central Coast Lending, and I'm here with my boy, Mr. Matt Hollander. How we doing, Mike? Woo, we're back. <laughs> I have uh, I have never wanted a pool more than right now. It's getting it pretty like, warm out there. It's 100 degrees in San Luis Obispo. Wow. Wow. And a We've, lot of those houses don't have air conditioning, so that makes yeah. things interesting. Yeah. Lots of people at the beach. <laughs> Lots of people at the beach. Um, I bet. Maybe too many. Uh, we made a cameo visit to the beach yesterday with my in-laws and my dogs and had a great little time uh, over at Avila Beach and um, just just feeling the summer heat now. And it's, what, it's weird. Like for here, it's just three days. It's not like you. Like you're like you settle in for like months in Arizona. Yeah. So July was the hottest month in the history of Arizona as far as a rolling average through the whole month. It was it was just shy of 100 degrees average the whole month. So yeah, it's a little warm here. Oh, for us, it's like three <laughs> days, which I think is worse. I think three days of heat is worse because it's like it hits you out of nowhere. Sure. Sure. Heat. It's like when we first start getting hot out here and then after that, you're just used to it. It's like, oh, whatever. It's hot. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's that morning, early morning walk outside when you're like, ooh, it's going to be hot today. It's already, it's already warm. Uh, the other things that are hot, hot topics right now, um, you know, the the GDP came out last week for quarter two. Not so hot um, as we had thought. It's at a, a third. It's down a third from what the expected average was going to be. So um, just formalizing for us in actual statistics how bad quarter two was. Um, and who knows what quarter three and quarter four will bring. Um, the good news is, oddly enough, we'll talk about this a little bit today in real estate, but the real estate purchase market is going nuts and it's just a pure function of supply and demand. So anyone out there that's like on the fence, should I list my house or not? Great, great time to list your house, whether it's an investment property or, or a primary residence. Limited supply. Okay. First thing's great. That's in your favor. Boom. Lowest rates in the last 20 years. I just did a 15% down pre-approval for a young family first house before this show, Matt. It's mm -hmm. Monday. It's Monday, August 3rd, 2.5% conventional 30 year fixed. Whoa. 15% down good credit scores. They both have in the eight low eight hundreds, but I mean, 15% down they're buying a $400,000 home. So it's not like, it's not like an $800,000 home with 15% down. That's not a ton of money. That's some money down. But usually that's where I see most of my young families that are getting gift money from grandma and grandpa or, or sure. you know, that's so just, that's just crazy. Money. It's just that's crazy. And it doesn't look like it's going to be turning around. And I'm not talking like this is how it's going to be the rest of the year. Hurry up and buy. I'm thinking this is going to be the next 18 to 24 months just because of how important the house market housing market is to keep going. 
But I'm getting on my soapbox. I, I mean, I haven't even let you talk yet. I'm already <laughs> rolling right into real estate. It's because I got off that call for the pre-approval and got right on this one with you. Hey, I think I, anytime you get off of a call like that, it would be something that, uh, you know, is kind of resonating in the head. You just kind of want to tell somebody about it. So why not educate all of our smart retirees, right? Yeah. It, so. I, I hand to God, I when I priced out the loan, I had to double check because I thought I did something wrong. <laughs> so that's... That's where rates are at right now. Well, um, heck, if we're gonna be uh, if we're gonna be talking about hot topics, uh, we're right around the corner from school starting, and uh, including yeah. colleges and things. So I think uh, why don't we talk today a little bit about saving for college? Right? I think that's I think a that's great a idea. Good fundamental idea when it comes to any type of retirement planning is you know if you have kids or grandkids, we need to be setting or maybe we want to be setting some money aside and how should we do it and how much, right? Mike? Yeah. So. How much indeed, how much indeed. And you know, at, at what, at what level of school are we setting aside funds for, you know, is this the stuff where they can be in an art school, uh, whether, you know, in high school or is it, is it college? Is it a university? What is it for? Right. Cause there's so many different buckets you can put this money in now. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. The Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, was talking about it. And the average uh, graduate students, uh, like loan debt when they're out of school is shy, just shy of $40,000, right? So, and that's on top of whatever grants and things they've, scholarships they might have been able to apply for. So how do we set somebody up correctly to kind of have that head start, if you will, not necessarily take care of 100% of it, but where do we look in, you know, kind of doing this? I know, Mike, you don't have to worry about this because you've got the two dogs, which I don't think are going to college, right? By so. design. Yeah, by design. <laughs> but if they did go to school, they wouldn't go to USC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Here we yeah. go. <laughs> uh, for all those who don't know, I'm a UCLA fan. <laughs> Plus, USC is expensive. Mm-hmm. expensive to go to that school. Yeah. Well, I think almost all college these days is getting expensive to go to. And setting up some type of college fund, uh, I think is probably a, a good idea. I know I have one for my son who's going to be four, uh, wow, next month. Um, so just kind of, you know, any little bit that you can peel away in these things can kind of help. Um, there's really two different ways that when you're out looking at different accounts and things that are available uh, for college savings accounts is first thing you want to distinguish is a um, do we want this account to only be used for educational purposes, right? So there are like, Mike, you've probably heard of an UTMA or an UGMA, but that's, it's a uniform transfer uh to minors or a uniform gift to minors act um, that basically allows you to put money away for this individual that they can claim um, once they become of age, either 18 or 21, depending on the account. And it doesn't necessarily have to be used for college expenses. Okay. Yeah. So this, is- this is actually one of the, the things that helped us trigger this show two weeks ago. I had a, a young kid that graduated college about three years ago, two years ago, mm-hmm. excuse me, and his parents never used it. 
They never right. used it. And so they, they actually gave it to him as his part of his down payment. That's fantastic. So right. There you so go. there's an example. Exactly. So, I mean, it's still going to have tax advantages while it's growing, um, you know, and then again, it can be used for other things. Uh, whereas our other two options, which would be most of our listeners out there, what I would assume would understand what a 529 plan is. And I'm going to jump into that a little bit more. Uh, but then we also have an education savings account. You might have heard this called like a cover Dell, Mike, if you've heard those before. Um, what happens with an education savings account, and we'll start there first, because when we get to the 529 plan, it's going to open up some more windows for everyone. But when you're looking at a cover Dell or your ESA, uh, you have contribution limits into this thing. So you can do $2,000 a year. It's after tax money. So it's kind of like a Roth, if you will, right? So the money's going in after tax and it's growing tax-free. And when the individual takes the money out when used for educational expenses, it is also tax-free. So works, but... It is, but in reality, depending on when you start this account, right? If you can only put two thousand dollars a year into it per child, what are you really going to grow this thing to, right? Yeah, that's like so. You're at thirty six by the time yeah, right? thirty six thousand dollars. So I mean, the the Coverdale probably worked thirty years ago, and it would make some sense then. But now, I mean, like you said, I mean that might cover one year. You know, tuition probably wouldn't even cover the books, depending on the school they're going to. Right. Right. So, you know, that's where the 529 plan uh, comes in. They have much, much higher contribution limits. Depending on the state that you're in, they can be up to $300,000 inside that account. I had no idea it goes that high. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's going to that's going to depend on the state that you're in. Um, So make sure if if you're out there looking at a 529 plan to make sure that you're doing your research to figure out what that is. Um, Again, with the 529, money's going in, it's growing tax-free and can be used for educational purposes. Now, in your situation, Mike, where you had that client that had the money sitting in the account, the the child did not use it while going to school, and now they're using it for a down payment. 529 plan, we're going to have penalties associated if you try to access the money for anything other than educational expenses. Right. 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 Um, that, what, and then what, that gets regulated by, by like the account holder sends you a 1099 when you pull the money out. Correct. Any, okay. whatever, whoever the custodian is of that account, whether it be, you know, one of the big wirehouses, whatever it may be, just like you would if you took money out of your IRA, right? Makes You're going to get a 1099. So it's going to show that it was an early withdrawal or an un, uh, there's a word for it and it's slipping my mind, but almost like an unallowed type of transaction through that type of plan of account. So we'll have a penalty associated with it. Um, I know that word see. will come back to you. It, it will. It's going to burn it out in like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But uh, yeah, I think as far as options out there right now for a simple way to put money aside for somebody wanting to go for a higher education, the 529 is probably the simplest way to go about that, right? You can go to almost any of those big wirehouses out there um, and tell them, hey, I would like to start a 529 plan. And yeah. 
I did this, what, two years ago now for Connor. And essentially, I've got it to where it just takes out a, a monthly sum every month out of my checking account. And with the 529 plan, you can set what your risk tolerance is in most of these. And they're just an actively managed account. And depending on the dollar amount that's inside the account, they might not even have management fees to do it. So a lot of these custodians have some really good options there. So I would recommend to you if you're looking, uh, just do your research, you know, go online or feel free to give us a call and I can give you my opinion of where I would go. Um, 866-53-RETIRE. Again, that's 866-53-RETIRE. Option one, I'll get you to myself, Matt Hollander at Century Financial. Um, Mike, one of the things we talked about in the last show, and I just kind of want to jump back to that for a second, was the indexed universal life insurance policies. And believe it or not, we could almost utilize those as a type of savings plan for college. Right. Because if listeners, if you haven't listened to this show, go back and l listen to our last show that we did prior to this, this one here. And what you'll find is you've got a lot of the same tax advantages that you're going to see inside of these college funds, per se, the ESA, the 529 or the UTMA or UGMA. What we'll find inside the life insurance is, A, we have the tax-free growth and tax-free withdrawal. But then also we have a death benefit behind it. So essentially you could ensure yourself, the parent or the grandparent, have a death benefit that should something happen to you, a percentage or all could go to that grandchild or son or daughter. And additionally, you could set this up if you're the parent, right? And we're in our 30s, 40s, whatever it may be, and we have kids that are starting to grow up. We're starting to contribute into this thing. And in 16 to 18 years when my child needs this money for education, we can start borrowing money out of this life insurance policy to help pay for that. After the four to six, however many years the child's in school, you can stop those payments, continue making payments into the life insurance policy. And at a later date, you could even tap into this thing for your own retirement to supplement your income there in a tax-free manner. So the nice thing about the life insurance option is it will give you the flexibility should the child not attend school to use the money for other things, but it also doesn't have necessarily a contribution limit to it. So it's kind of our 529 plan with some extra benefits to it, right? We've got our death benefit death benefit behind it. And we also have a living benefit for ourselves, the, the purchaser of the product uh, that we may be able to utilize later on in life. So, yeah. And that was the, that that's really great, Matt. I think the funny thing about life insurance is that a lot of people just think of it for one solely one thing, which is, all right, well, when I kick the bucket, I want to make sure my loved ones have some money. And right. it's such a versatile tool in the financial plan. It's a lot like reverse mortgages, which we're going to do another show on here um, at the end of August, if not the first part of September. But it's just, it, you know, look at look at our episode called What's Better Than Cash, Cash and a Death Benefit. I should probably say this with some tonality because I've got an explanation <laughs> point in there. Cash and a death benefit. But it's, it's we also have our, uh, our good guest on the show who who you work with all the time, Matt. So just give it a click, listen to it a little bit. You'll get some details from us about 
what Matt's talking about. Matt, I got a couple of pop quiz questions for you with regards oh, to this college boy. savings plan. Let's go. Some of these grandparents have five, six kids, five, six sure. grandkids, you know, and they started off like, okay, with the first one, Junior, we want to help him for college savings. And then, okay, well, here comes along, you know, Sarah, the next one. And oh my gosh, now there's a third one, you know, right. you know they keep popping out like rabbits and I have six. What do you, what do you do? Is there like a, is there like a waterfall effect or like if the first kid doesn't use it all, you can roll it into the second kid or how do you manage all that? Sure. With, so with trying to be fair and also trying to think about what's always so important with money is duration too, right? If the oldest kid's going to be in college in five years, you probably want to put a lot of bricks towards that house. Sure. And that's almost kind of like the laddered approach that we would look at when doing this is kind of take the ages of all the children and kind of figure out which one's going to need more of a jump start early on. And maybe the newborn's going to take a little bit less. Um, you know, going back to the 529 plan, let's say in your example, the oldest grandchild doesn't end up using the money for uh, for school, but the next in line grandchild child, you want to gift it to them. Sometimes with the 529 plan, there are restrictions and penalties uh, for transferring and changing beneficiaries on the plan. So it's one thing we want to make sure that we're doing properly. And I would suggest yeah, yeah, for a yeah. view on that's the other beauty of using, utilizing the life insurance policy on it instead is they don't care who you use or what you do with the funds, right? right. It's your money. You're borrowing it out of basically your account and it's being paid back later on through your death benefits. So essentially, you're using your own funds that have been growing at whatever rate the account behind it is um, without all the restrictions that you're going to find in some of these other places. So, you know, if Sarah needs an, a little bit of extra money one month, it's not going to be a big deal pulling it from there and creating any types of issues if it isn't directly for some type of educational expense. That's hope that really kind well of answers the question. That's really well put. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I, I like I like the way you answered that because it requires, like many of the things we do, just some, some good old-fashioned planning. Uh, here's another one. So sure. I, I want to, gosh, I don't know how to ask this question, but let's, I want to capitalize on my kids going to college by okay. also re reducing my adjustable tax income. So at what point can I max out these? So I've, I've writing off my mortgage, right? I'm writing it off to the best of my ability, the, the most I can. Um, I'm writing off my property taxes. I'm writing off, I mean, maybe I'm still uh, of working age, but I'm getting close to retire. So I'm still putting some money in my 401k. How many of these 529s could I do? Could I do them for each head of each child? Correct. The yeah, so, yeah. So each child can have one, um, you know, keep in mind as far as whatever your deductions that you're allowed to take for educational expenses are going to be based upon whatever the current tax law is at that point in time. And I would direct that question more to a tax professional, um, you know, to kind of get the nitty gritty on. But in essence, yes, you could have one per, per child. Okay. Um, which account you decide, I think, is going to be how much you're really putting into it to make that determination of what's going to be the right way to do it. Right, right. Um, and then the last question I had for you is, why wouldn't you just like save the money yourself mm -hmm. and then just wait till they go to college and then stipend them money as they need it? Why would you it, do this instead? 
Well, that's a really good point. Now, that's the kind of idea of just sticking it in a savings account, right? And letting it grow and then using it as needed. So you're not going to get any tax benefit by doing that. So any growth that you're going to have on that account, when you take it out, uh, you're going to be taxed on it, right? As it's growing, you're going to get 1099s on that money, depending on the type of account you have it growing in. Yeah. So there's another issue, right? With these, you put the money in and you're not receiving 1099s on an annual basis. You're not receiving a 1099 when the child uh, or grandchild needs to access these funds when it comes to educational expenses. Awesome. So that would be, uh, you know, my thoughts there as far as why. Yeah, I think yeah, it comes yeah. down to taxes. Excellent. Excellent. Um, anything else you want to add on this segment? You know, I don't think so. Listeners, as always, if you have you know more detailed or personal questions you'd like a, a second opinion on, feel free to shoot us an email at info at smartretirementcast.com. Again, that's info at smartretirementcast.com. Or feel free to give us a call at 866-53-RETIRE. So, Mike, what do you say? We, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we get come back from the break, I know you have some interesting thoughts uh, as far as this college saving and some ways that you might be able to show people how to access some funds as well. So stick around, listeners. We'll be right back after this short break. Honestly, when was the last time you really took a hard look at your retirement plan? With the market the way it's been, it can be easy to become complacent. A new decade is upon us, which comes with a lot of questions. Can the economy and the market continue to grow? What will the next election do to my investments? Is it time to sell my house before the market adjusts to downsize and take advantage of the equity? How can I best maneuver to maximize return? The answer is simple. It never hurts to get a second opinion from a team like Century Financial Consultants. With over 40 years of financial planning experience, get a free income analysis from Century Financial Consultants today to see where you stand and if you're ready for any changes we may face in the coming year. Give Century Financial Consultants a call today at 866 866- 53 retire that's 866-53 retire prepare for an uncertain tomorrow so you can relax and enjoy today get a free income analysis from century financial consultants by calling 866-53 retire that's 866-53 retire century financial consultants california license numbers 0l23991 and 0175638 yeah Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender, licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act, NMLS number 328358. Mike Points is a licensed loan officer in California, NMLS number 1246224, and is only licensed to offer advice on mortgage products. He is not licensed as an investment advisor. All of the mortgage products Mike Points will discuss on this show are for educational purposes, and these products should be reviewed by a licensed loan officer before taking these mortgages on as your own, as they may not fit your specific situation or needs. Welcome back, smart retirees from that short break. Uh, this is your co-host, Matt Hollander, here joined with Mike Points of Central Coast Lending. And today we're talking about one of the hot topics of college savings. So in the first bit of the show, we talked about Coverdell education savings accounts, 529 plans, UTMAs and UGMAs, all the stuff with all these acronyms that 
probably could confuse a lot of you. Um, and also brought in the idea of utilizing an indexed universal life insurance policy to help fund for college planning. Now, the beauty of having Mike and I bring this information to you is we definitely have some different ways of achieving a lot of the same things. And I think that's the beauty of kind of having us together and bringing you this information. So at this part of the show, I'm going to actually turn this over to you, Mike. And I know you have some ideas that you would like to share with our listeners that might open their eyes to some things they have not seen before. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Um, for those of you that don't know it, I live in San Luis Obispo, California. It is a major college town, um, the University of Cal Poly. Um, for the state of California is here. It's frequented. It's a highly coveted school. It's probably one of the better, if not the best state schools just for um, its architecture, computer science and, and business school. And because of that, I get so much activity on this very topic I'm about to share with you. Um, not only am I constantly dealing with these types of real estate owners and buyers, I, I'm just, I'm just, Honestly, I'm, I'm pretty baffled by why more people don't do what I'm about to recommend today. And what that is without you know taking too long to get right into it is the fact of having your grandkids or your kids go to college, get comfortable in the dorms, whether it be freshman year or freshman and sophomore year, make good friends and purchase real estate and use those friends and their parents' paychecks to pay for your mortgage. And I say that candidly because that's exactly what you do. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. Your kids are excellent, excellent real estate property managers. And they want to live in a house. They want to be able to not move around every year. I, I know people that did that, and it sucks um, when you're in college. But they also want to have this they want you to trust them with this really important slash very valuable um, ordeal or transaction where the, you would buy the real estate. Many people jump into this like last minute. What they're thinking of doing is like, all right, well, we got to go back to school in August. Let's go try to find a house. You know, we've got about a month or two months to close. Not a good plan. In fact, what you want to start doing is working on this with me during your kid's freshman year of school, um, you know, first you want to see and, and make sure that they actually are going to class, right? And that they're actually enjoying this process of, of going to undergraduate school. But during that first year, what we'll do is we'll set up a good, a, a, a basically a straightforward profit and loss sheet on how this would work for you. We'll figure out how much cash down you have to put into something like this, because like we were talking about in the first half of this segment, Matt, college savings um, can be used in so many ways. A lot of times people just think of, look, this is just going to go to tuition and books and things of that nature. But if we've got them through year one and they've got college savings saved up, we can use those funds as a deposit. We can start talking about the kids getting student loans that they will take on for year two or three or four, because in the meantime, you're going to have ownership of an asset that's going to appreciate most likely over time and allow you to pay down the debt with rents you're receiving from your son or daughter's roommates. The exciting thing about this is that I've actually had three transactions in my six years being here where now, because I've I, in the first year, I 
I was thrown to the wolves and got a lot of these leads from my broker. Um, he said, Hey, look, you're, you're a younger guy. You know, you, you obviously know the area you've lived here for 10 years. Why don't you take all of our Cal Poly leads that we're getting from, you know, our advertisements on campus and some of the Facebook stuff we're doing with the moms and dads and see how it goes. So six years ago, now it's, 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 I've had an opportunity for some of these kids to graduate and the three of the scenarios that I can easily say, uh, I've remembered each step of the way have ended all different ways. They've all ended different ways. Um, one of them, uh, and I'll tell you those stories in just a sec, but, but what I always recommend we do, and this is really crucial and I don't want to get too off topic because this is the, this is the smart part of this segment. Many times the parents come to me and say, Hey, look, I want to buy this house as an investor, but my kid's going to live in it and they're going to have their friends that come in and I stop them right there and I say, hold on a second. That's crazy. Why would we do that? Why would we put more money down, have a worse interest rate and not let your son or daughter be on the title with you and a get credit in their life for owning a house and having a mortgage B being able to take advantage of the capital gains exemption if they live there more than two years consecutively and see just the pride of ownership, right? Like it's one thing if it's like, yeah, this is my mom and dad's house and that's the beer fridge and there's the lawn, <laughs> there's the lawn we're supposed to cut every week, but we haven't cut in three months and they're coming down this weekend. So I hired you landscaper to help me get this thing looking good, you know? It's pride of ownership's huge and it's good for your kids. It's really good for them. So I always recommend putting them on title and putting them on the loan because once we have your son or daughter on the loan, we now have an occupancy owner. So it's by, it's basically like you're helping them buy their first house. Now, this is why I need you to get in touch with me a good six to 12 months ahead of time. And if you're a parent that is financially savvy and your kids just recently went to college, you're probably shaking your head up and down like, yep, I wish we would have done this sooner. What do your kids not have when they're a freshman in college that's going to help with them being a borrower on this loan? They have no credit history. They have no credit history because you were cool parents. You were too nice to them and you didn't make them get a job and you didn't make them borrow stuff. You didn't make them pay stuff back. But if you were savvy enough, you maybe got them a, a small credit card. Hey, put your books on this. Refill your gas tank with this thing. Let's pay it down every month. And so that's what we've got to do year one or the first six months. We've got to let your kids establish their credit. Once they've established their credit, I only really need to get them a credit score above 700. Everything else above that is just icing on the cake. Any interest rates we have with a 700 FICO score or better are very good interest rates. Um, the key to this all, though, which parents love, is that you can put down 5% with your kid in that house. And you will have mortgage insurance. So we still have to look at, like I said, a profit and loss statement, like how much rent can we get in this part of town near the school? Okay. With four people in the house, we're breaking even. Does it make sense to add a fifth person? You know, will, will the city allow that type of density? Where are all the cars going to park? These are the things we kind of have to iron out. In a college town, the city is very sensitive to this. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, Watch that movie with Zac Efron where he's the neighbor for uh, Seth. What's his face <laughs> when yep. he's living next door to the college kids? Yep. 
Yeah, every other house is a an old couple or a family that lives in a neighborhood. So they don't want a bunch of Chevy trucks in front of their house and they will complain. So we have to figure out how this is all going to work out. But what I think is so brilliant about this, and here's the three scenarios. I'm going to give them to you really quick. The first one, young guy, he moved here from Boise, Idaho to go to Cal Poly. His dad was very savvy, very financial. Like when you pulled up this guy's loan application, guy had cash galore. He could buy it all cash, but he didn't want to. He said to me very clearly, and I feel like this gentleman is the one that gave me the roadmap for this. I have to be honest. He said, I'm going to put 30% down because that's going to give me enough cash flow from the rents that my son only has to have two roommates. I only want two roommates because I find when you have four people, it's a party. You know, when you have three people, there's usually one always gone going somewhere. So it's a little bit more calm. I said, okay, sir, you, you know everything. Let's do what you want. And then uh, sure enough, three and a half years went by and the equity from the house that he purchased in 2014 and sold in late 2017, the equity that he was able to gain and get a check for paid for all of his son's college tuition that he had on a student loan. Plus, it gave his son about $40,000 that he just gave him. Because he was on title, he was able to say that he owned 99% of the house and the dad only owned one, which is totally fine. You guys can declare when you're joint tenants how much ownership you have. Um, and you'll do that through vesting and I can help you understand how that works. He sold the house. So his dad put it on the market. He got the money and all the proceeds from that. Plus the, the dad got his principal back. And he was able to cash out, pay his whole college loan off, Matt, and have $40,000 to go into the job force and say, look, I'm going to take two months off. I'm going to think about life. I'm going to find the job I want. Or I could put that as a down payment on another house. I've never had a chance to follow up with the gentleman. I think he moved back to Boise, which is outside of my area. So um, I did not get any more follow-up stories with that. The second one, this is even better, I think. The parents said, look, you're doing such a great job. They did the same thing per my advice. They put down 15%. The kids rented it out. It was a little bit bigger house. So um, that's why they only put 15% down because it was about a $750,000 purchase. Sure. But it yielded more bedrooms, which yields what? More people. And they went kind of the party house route, which they probably made, had to pay a lot for in maintenance and repairs <laughs> and carpet cleanings. You've gone to college. You know what I'm talking about. These floors are sticky. <laughs> and so uh, and so what happened is this the, at at a certain point, they decided to transfer the property to their son. And they were able to transfer the whole deed. They just go in and sign off a grant deed and an affidavit that says, look, this is being transferred as a gift. That way, the county knows when we have a new title of owner our new owner on title or excuse me, a revised ownership on title. Let me say this correctly. They have a form from them that shows exactly what the parents are doing so that they don't get bothered, really. It's just kind of like giving everyone a heads up. You're allowed to do that in this county. And so check which counties you live in to see if you're allowed to do that. But it's a free transfer. They keep the tax basis. The kids stayed in the house. He graduated. He's now moved out of the house and it's an investment property Boom. in a college town. You know how frequently that thing is vacant? Not. Not vacant. <laughs> he, yeah he has like 15 different parties coming to look at it every year to rent it so that was cool and then the last thing was uh is, is a smaller home it was actually a condo 
And uh, the young gal uh, went on the loan per my advice and the parents jumped on and they advanced her most of her college savings. They paid for the down payment. She paid for college herself. She got to, she went through jobs. She got a student loan. She has about $30,000 in student loan debt. So pretty close to what you were saying earlier, Matt, from the Wall Street Journal average. She now has um, a roommate and is working at MindBody in town. Mm -hmm. And she's looking at getting a refinance because she wants to, to take cash out against that property and buy a primary residence. So she might keep that as an investment property. We're still trying to figure that out. But as you can see, giving them real estate it seems like a double risk, right? Like now, how are we going to pay for college if we've already put the money into real estate? But the asset itself as a whole is is so valuable, especially in a college town, that the appreciation on that asset helps cover the cost of schooling year after year. Is this going to happen every year? No, you could be in a situation where you might lose money on this transaction. So you need to have some type of plan B you need to be able to think like, okay, if we had to keep the house, could son or daughter move out? Could grandchild, grandchild or grandchildren move out? I mean, could I move in? You know, a lot of people that are older want to move to San Luis Obispo. All you have to do is come visit your your student for a weekend, and you want to live here. But it, it gives this, it, it breathes oxygen into this creativity of how to pay for schooling, and with real estate, whether it's, you know an investment property or a primary residence, it's one of those things that pays you every day, right? Because the appreciation on it grows. And like I said, the the credit itself is just great for them. Getting, making that mortgage payment, managing all those things. It's something that they need to learn how to do. And you're, you're basically accelerating that responsibility by giving them a treat at the end, which is either ownership or no school debt. Can't tell you how many people that I interview that have, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month in student loan payments. It's ridiculous to not have any of that and even have a and just be flush with no student loans. And maybe you lived in a house and you sold it. That is a perfectly good alternative to going through college and paying for it. So, Matt, that's really all I wanted to add today. It's different ways to finance real estate for your college son, daughter or granddaughter or grandson, because it gives them a leg up on flexibility and options when they graduate. I, I, I like the idea. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we could also look at, Mike, is laddering this with the Index Universal Life Play. And so let's say we develop a universal life policy that we're putting in, I don't know, call it a couple hundred dollars a month, right? From, the, from when the kid, child is a year old, maybe, right? So depending on the, your rate of return, and what we're looking at there, I mean, we could very easily have forty to fifty thousand dollars built up into this thing uh, that's available to you tax free. So at that point of when the child goes into school, you then have the option: Do I want to pay for school, or do we want to take the advice of uh, one of the suggestions Mike's making here and use some of that money of which now you can access tax free and purchase this real estate with it? Yeah. Right? So I think that's where wow, both that's of our cool. ideas here can complement each other very, very well. But you want to make sure that the plan that you're selecting for school savings is going to be flexible enough to change 
with the ever you know changing environments of what college may be in 18 years down the road. That's right. That's very well put. I think on that we should end the show. I agree. Mike, thanks for uh, the the thoughts there and looking forward to our to our next show here in a couple of weeks. But uh, in the meantime, listeners, be well and let's go out and make the rest of our lives the best of our lives. Thanks for tuning in. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or construed as providing specific investment advice. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. Thanks for tuning into this podcast. California license number 0175638 and MLS number 1246224.